We did it right away. I we like did that. It. Um, professors? No. We did it. We got it. I really? Think. I don't know. It doesn't really. <laughs> it's not fluid. Yeah. Pro Gorefessers. <laughs> Gorefessers is good. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's something better around the corner, but we'll land on something. We'll, fi- we'll figure it out. In the future. We're still yeah. mapping this thing out. Today we have something of a special episode of Ghoul School. It's kind of complicated because originally we were going to save discussion of the WNUF Halloween special for the final episode of this season to kind of put it in context with a few other films that I feel are sort of reaching for the future of the found footage format in horror. But it made a lot of sense to do the interview with the director of the WNUF Halloween special, Chris LaMartina, earlier than that. See, he's currently sort of at the tail end of a crowdfunding campaign for a sequel. And I really want to see this sequel, and I want to see him get all the help for it he can. So it just made sense to do it before that crowdfunding campaign ended. And then when we decided to do the interview now, I was originally going to do this episode with a lecture section up front about the film. It's production, it's release, but the interview actually kind of goes into a lot of that, so I feel like there's no need to say anything on top of that at this time. When we do the season finale, I guess, episode where we cover the WNUF Halloween special and the Midnight Swim and L.A. Macabre and a few other found footage genre efforts. I'll go into more detail and contextualize the film a little bit more. But for now, I actually think it's better to just sort of let Chris LaMartina speak for himself in this interview. So I guess if we're continuing with this sort of scholastic language we've been using, analogy-wise, this episode is kind of a half day with a special guest. You know, sort of like when they have an assembly and there's a speaker and then the speaker speaks and you listen to them and then everyone gets to go home early. It's kind of like that. This is not a three hour long episode. And I think this interview is a lot of fun. It's our first one. And if you like it and you want to see us or hear us do more interviews with guests like Chris, let us know. That'd be awesome. I would love to keep doing these. Um, I think that this, for our first one, was pretty successful, and I had a great time in this conversation. If you have not seen WNUF Halloween Special, it is currently streaming on Amazon Prime, depending on when you listen to this, and I highly recommend you go do that before listening to the interview. It'll make a lot more sense that way, and I also just think it's a great film that deserves as much attention as it can possibly get. Also, check out the WNUF 
sequel GoFundMe campaign. It's been a pretty great thing to watch happen, and I can't wait for the finished product. Okay, okay, I feel like we're ready to go. Real quick, if you like the podcast, let us know. Rate and review us on iTunes. It helps us out a lot. I And thank you so much to everyone who has done that. It means a lot. It's nice to get feedback. It's nice to know that I'm not just screaming into a void. And as they say, nothing is created in a vacuum. So again, without listeners, we wouldn't still be doing this. Now that that's all out of the way, let's go ahead and call up the director of, to my mind, one of the best found footage horror movies of all time, Chris LaMartina. Hello? Hello. Is this Chris? Hey, is this yeah, hey, this is Chris. How's it going? Is this Andy? Hi, yes, this is Andy. Good to talk to you. <laughs> Good to talk to you, my friend. Hi. So, yes, it's 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 me, uh, Andy, and I'm here with Adam. Hey, how's it going? Hey, Adam. Good, man. How are you? Really good. Thanks for uh, doing this interview. We really appreciate it. Big fans oh, yeah, of the movie. Man, I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're excited. Uh, we're excited to do this. You're our first interview for this podcast. We've only uh, released three episodes so far, but okay. we're excited. I'm just going to stop saying I'm excited. I think I've... Especially because you, you sound very monotone when you're saying it. Do I? Yeah. Should I say yeah. I'm better? I'm, yeah. Okay. I'm excited. There it is. All right, there we go. Awesome. So uh, are you? how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, man. How are you guys? Pretty good. Pretty good. We're both yeah. Bears fans, so we're a little sad about Sunday's game. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I've ever watched a, a football game in its entirety, unfortunately. So I can't. I can't talk sports. Oh, so you're not even a you're not even a Ravens guy. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if it's funny, like you know, so being from Baltimore, the bank M and T is my bank. So like, um, I have a Ravens card, and every time I use it, like people will try to talk to me about football and I'll, i have to tell them like no i like literally this is the bank that gave me this card i, I know nothing and, and the funny thing is too i've actually you know i i work in video production and marketing and advertising and i've like i've filmed like i produce commercials with some of the baltimore ravens in them and like and it's still it's, it doesn't matter to me because i'm just not a football guy yeah you know? <laughs> uh, well fair enough yeah. i think i think after sunday's bears game i'm no longer a football guy either yeah so <laughs> So you are, you are, this is, uh, I, 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 this is weird. I've never done this before. So I don't know how I should, who I should be addressing the audience or Chris or. <laughs> I, I, I think we should talk to each other. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's probably the way to go. That's, uh, I'm just, look, what's going to happen is hey. I'm going to ask Adam to ask you a question and then you will give your answer to me and then he'll relay it to me. That's not going to happen. Hey, Andy. Okay. You should introduce our guest. Hi, uh, this is Chris LaMartina, uh, co-producer, co-writer, and director of WNUF Halloween Special. Such a good movie. Which yep. is one of our... Love and, it. Among many other films, actually. You've uh, you've produced, written, and directed uh, many other films, including uh, Witch's Brew, yep. Call Girl of Cthulhu, and the upcoming What Happens Next Will Scare You, which I am very excited yep. about. But uh, we've mentioned WNUF a couple times on this, on this podcast. We're going to definitely feature it heavily in in a, in a future episode and cool <laughs> <laughs> cool so uh, instead of uh, whatever let's ask you about you unless you're tired of talking about it what you grew up as a horror fan as i understand uh-huh. and uh, reading fango and uh, watching uh, the films of jr bookwalter etc so mm-hmm. w- kind of maybe take us through your introduction to the genre and and why it became something that you became focused on 
Sure. So I, I grew up, um, I'm, I'm the youngest of three kids. I'm an accident. I, I was, uh, <laughs> I was for five years after my, my sister. So my brother and my sister are two years apart. There's me five years later. And basically like being youngest, you sort of like, and that and being that far apart, you sort of end up like, you know, discovering a lot of things on your own or be partially raised by like your, your older siblings. So like my brother was watching movies like Monster Squad and Predator, and I was the the little little kid sort of like sneaking out of my bedroom and trying to watch this stuff while he was watching it. So it was partially that, and then I was also um, I spent a lot of time growing up with my godmother, um, my 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 dad's sister Mary Lou, and she was she's a very super she is she's still alive. She's a very superstitious Italian Catholic, and when I was young, she used to tell me all these crazy stories. Like she would tell me stories about the saints. Like, I remember hearing about stigmata when I was a little, little kid. And we used to go visit all our Italian relatives at the cemetery, like, you know, visit their graves mm-hmm. and, and, leave, and leave flowers on their graves. Usually, like, every couple weeks. And, and that, that stuff just sort of stuck with me. Like, I, I remember as a very young kid, she would sit down at, like, I would tell her, like, you know, I want to I tell you a ghost story. Because she would tell me ghost stories. Like, she would tell me, like, stories like you would read in scary stories to tell in the dark. Or stories, like, that are, what essentially were urban legends. She believed them as, <laughs> as gospel. Like, uh, she literally would tell me, like, you have to be careful. There are these gangs going around flashing their headlights at, 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 at night. <laughs> and if you flash them, they, like, like, she would tell me these. And, like, I'm not even joking. Like, I, t- I heard ghost stories like that or things like that when I was, like, ages four to eight. Oh, God. You know? like, it was insane sort of stuff she was telling me. And I'd be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then I would tell her stories. And, like, I would have her... I would never sit down at her typewriter. That sort of ages me a little bit because um, it was before she had a desktop computer. I would dictate Gary stories to her. You know, she would sit down and, and read. And, and you read these stories now, and they're all just a series of non sequiturs. You know, like it was a dark and stormy night. A hand came from a grave. Somebody screamed. Like it's literally just cliches. <laughs> <laughs> so she had the cliches and the the tropes down. That tells you exactly. Yeah, like 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 that's what's really interesting. Like you know, anybody who grew up loving horror as a little kid, you learn things that were sort of like yeah, exactly the, the tropes, the cliches. Like very, it, it all becomes part of like a collective consciousness. God bless the superstition of Italian Catholics, because uh, yeah, Dario yeah. Argento as well. That guy right. fully believes in witches and satanic powers, and without that, Suspiria would not be the film that it is. Right, right. Well, and, and that stuff really stuck with me. I mean, like, um, I didn't pick up a, a video camera until I was like twelve or thirteen. So, like, I would before I just wrote, I like, just drew cartoons and, and wrote scary stories when I was a kid. You know, hugely influenced by like stuff like Goosebumps. But then when I finally found the family camcorder, I just like, I mean, that was probably like from age 12 on. I mean, all the way through high school, I was making short films nonstop. Like, like I have hundreds of those and, and tapes, of, like dozens of tapes of just like short films I made. So, Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I've, I'm always personally jealous of people that were able to do that. I, I like picked up a camera and would start filming something and then would be like, well, this isn't going to go anywhere and then would stop. So then, yeah. like, you know, yeah. then, I, then I, I get into regional cinema and start watching a lot of, you know, shot on video horror or micro budget horror like J.R. Bookwalter or Leif Jonker or somebody and I'm just like oh this is what can happen if you didn't have that voice telling you not to do it yeah so that's I'm useless with a camera (laughs) I might as well I might as well not have a camera on my phone (laughs) I just no point But I think you make a really good point, that idea of, like, you know, like, sort of, like, that self-doubt. Like, there were two things that were really instrumental in, in making movies for me. Like, like one was the idea that, like, I, I made movies. I mean, I, and I think this is really important about to talk about, like, the fact that I was the youngest and my siblings were so much older. I had a lot of time by myself. So I made a ton of, like, stop motion or movies where it was me and action figures. And, like, literally where I was doing, like, the voice of 12 characters, which if anyone was watching me do this as a child, I probably looked, like, psychotic. Um, <laughs> but, but, like, the other thing 
that was instrumental in that too is like I really like I discovered punk rock around the same time I started making movies and like punk rock represented so much of what I wanted to bring to, to filmmaking like the idea that you know do it yourself yeah. anybody can do this no fear of failure like who cares if it looks if it if it looks shitty that's part of the 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 appeal part of the attitude yeah that diy ethic and that sneering at perceived authority <laughs> is very helpful for that i did i discovered those things like too late for it to do me any good as a youngster <laughs> uh but but yeah i can i can relate yeah that's and i'm always i'm always very much like envious of people that can have that ambition and that and that uh that drive from a young age which i guess leads me to my next question so when you decided to make wnuf i now i've watched the film with the commentary and if anyone listening doesn't have the dvd of wnuf just because it's streaming there's no excuse for that get the dvd (laughs) it's the dvd is so worth it the commentary is great the extras are great and you're supporting a diy uh film community really in 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 the collaborative effort that made that film for sure for sure when you decided to make that going from you know uh, witch's brew to doing the found footage behind wnuf now you made it because from what i understand it was informed by, you know, your friend giving you the Geraldo sa- Satanism episode and the satanic mm. panic that was happening and formed the narrative thrust of the film. You also wanted to do something that could be broken up with commercials so you could shoot on nights and weekends. Mm. And, and yeah, it was I mean, that like, DIY. It, yeah, so, so it's, the, the, the genesis of WNUF exists in, in, it's sort of like the perfect storm of, of things that were swimming around in my head, right? So there were there were a couple of things like my my, my buddy um, the late great Andy Cop uh, director no longer with us but he made a movie called Mutilation Man made a movie called Quiet Nights of Blood and Pain he he for a long time ran a bootlegging operation and I don't want to say bootlegging operation because it wasn't like some CD thing it was like he t- he traded tapes like anybody who who you know fell in love with horror movies in the nineties knows that you go to a convention and somebody was making copies of tapes or, or things like that so he had a huge database of that and um, one of the tapes I got from one of the DVDs I got from I should say was Geraldo's um, Satanic Panic episode and a couple other things like that. And I, and I just loved it. Like, I felt like it was just such incredible television. And, and that sort of was gestating in my head for a couple of years. But then also I had, um, you know, Witch's Brew took a lot out of me when I made that film. It took a long time to finish because we had, we had some sound problems. We had ADR, like 20%, 20, 25% of the movie. So, like, it was taking a long time. It was, we were coming up on the first summer where we hadn't made a movie. Like, in, in like, 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 literally every summer for years, we were just always making a new movie. And I kept thinking to myself, like, how could, I, how could we make a movie fast and cheap and the idea was well the only movie we can make fast and cheap is found footage probably but I, I hated found footage movies <laughs> so you know it, it was one of those things where it's like we literally wrote a list of all the things we hated about found footage movies and tried to do the opposite and like and, and I've talked about, about that pretty extensively I think we talked yeah. about it on the audio commentary as well but the, the long story short is it's basically like why is someone filming this like you know you, most found footage movies are minor like a few characters with just monotonous like one location it ends up getting boring so we ended up making this movie that has sort of like this rich cultural universe you feel like you're in the town. You feel like you're, there's all these sort of like storylines going through. And if anyone who's listening to this, I mean, should I explain the movie or do you guys already feel like you've talked about that in other episodes? We've talked about it a little bit, but I think it's probably better if they hear you explain it. You can okay. pro- probably do it better <laughs> than us. Here's, here's the elevator pitch. Okay. So imagine you're watching a VHS tape of someone record that somebody recorded off of their local news affiliate 
on Halloween night, 1987. So what you're watching is the first 20 minutes of the news, the local news that night. And then the main thrust of the story is a local TV reporter is doing a Halloween special where he broadcasts live from the, the town's haunted house, right? And and things go awry. But, but it's literally <laughs> like somebody taped this off of TV where all the original commercials are in it. And I say original co- commercials with quotation marks so it's sort of this weird movie where it's it's, it's theoretically a, a, a found footage movie but it's very much this sort of like there's not many other movies that i can think that sort of do this like this like i don't know many other movies with, with straight up yeah, 30 yeah. Minutes of the movie or commercials yeah, the commercials I, no. are such a great yeah. touch well that was brilliant thank you you really do the film really does have a really it, it, it demonstrates an incredible strength for world building and you create this 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 universe with shared spaces between uh business that overlap and and cultural items that overlap and these characters on this news crew is a brilliant way to make it an ensemble film sort of there's like an Altman quality to it in that and, <laughs> and, and it really is a great way around as you said the limitations of of the you know the sparseness of a lot of found footage films as far as characters and world are concerned and sure. I mean I want to live in River Hill Township I, <laughs> I, I want to go to the Chestertown Mall and hang out at Tokens yeah. I want to check out clothes yeah. for repairs at the bar you know like not to do, do this too much, but like I have a group of friends, and every year we watch WNU. We have a we have a night we call VHS Toberfest, where we go to a friend's uh-huh. house. We watch a bunch of I bring a bunch of my VHS over, and we watch them. And WNUF is always the centerpiece of it. And oh, thank you. I've, I've actually, never been to a VHS Toberfest. It's fine though. <laughs> it's look. It's, it's a very elite group. I know it's uh, a new podcast. It's fine. <laughs> we'll get there as a duo. I'll be invited some year. But but you know. We we get it we get a we get a two liter of orange soda and we call it orange blast off and it's it's a great time and and it, it is a fun celebration but I think the film itself does so many different things as you said there's not a lot of examples of this I literally cannot think of one that does this uh, the way that you do it and with the authenticity and the earnestness that this film does it thank it, you it, it it does a lot it gets around a lot of limitations in very smart ways uh, as you said the conceit of why is someone's still holding this camera if they're running for their lives. Well, if it's a television, you know, news broadcast, that's their job. So it, 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 it all, it all makes, it all, it all fits really well. But what I wanted to ask next was, do you have any experience in the, in the tape trading scene in the, the, you know, the back of the back of Fango and the, the, you know, the fanzines that would offer catalogs of shot on video and, and hard to find bootleg stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I okay. Like, I'll I'll talk about my you know you know you name you name dropped um, Book Walter and Leaf, so I, I so I can sort of talk about this and and know that you speak as much nerd as I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so basically, like, okay, when I was like when I was a little kid, like probably like twelve or thirteen, like I mean, I, mean, I, I inhale horror movies, right? Like, I I watched a ton of them, and like I mean, like I didn't even play video games. Like, I I spent all my money on on videotapes. So what ended up happening was, you know, when I finally found a place that actually had Fangoria, like that I could buy it regularly, I would, I would like, I would just inhale those, those issues. And um, I remember in the back of the magazine, there was, there would be EI, Independent Cinema. So I would, <laughs> I would get their catalog. And that would, and I mean, and EI is who put out WF. And I, and I, and now I have a, a very close relationship 
with Mike Rosso, who who started DI, and and Paige Davis, who who's their current um you know cu- currently runs the, the shop over there. You know, so that was really instrumental. But there was also stuff like I remember um Catalog of Carnage, which was like a, like a it was like half. <laughs> this is so funny. I'm gonna embarrass my mom. Not like she's gonna <laughs> in, listen listen to this. But like th- this was like a probably I'd probably say like a 50 page Xerox tape catalog tape trading. Oh yeah. And like like so like what ended up happening would be like the first couple pages would be like some some sort of like inappropriate stuff with like you know maybe like like a like a like a keychain that looks like a dick uh, and then like um, and then like you know serial killer trading cards Charles Manson yep. dolls things like that and then um, the rest of it the majority of it were literally one line descriptions of oh. like really insane bootleg tapes <laughs> yep. or like or like you know you know things like you know like outtakes from Al yeah, 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 yeah. It in like one sentence two <laughs> descriptions away from the Bud Dwyer footage <laughs> yeah right. And, and and that was in there, man. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like literally, it'd be like. So it was interesting to me was like, um, like when, when I, I'll never forget this. I'm not know what was interesting. This is just funny. When I first got in the mail, I think my mom got like my mom was like, I need to see this first, and she's like. She like read read the first couple pages. She's like, mm. she's like, all right, just don't look at the first couple pages. And then she hands it back to me, as if you tell a kid like, don't look at something. Like, dude, it's like, yeah, it's like, it, uh, was like Beauty and the Beast. Like, don't go into the West Wing, right? You're yeah. Gonna, or the, whatever it is, you're gonna go in there. Like, um. But anyway, it was um. Considerate looked at because it was it was a whole new universe because the internet was too slow then. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember it would take like anywhere from three to five minutes for a page to load, whereas like when I when I had this this catalog, you know, that was. It was awesome, um, and I knew other places like Catalog of Carnage and mm-hmm. and um, yeah. I just felt like it was it was opening up Pandora's box when I realized there wasn't stuff just like Scream or I know what you did last summer. Yeah. There was there were these movies that were being produced that were low in budget but high in. Um, in passion yeah you know? well and often high in concept as well like at least the ones For that sure. stood out you know there were definitely some sure. pretty low concept uh <laughs> offerings <laughs> but but yeah you would get you know especially if we're talking filmmakers like book walter and and leaf like you you're gonna see some stuff that really swings for the fences yeah which is sure. always which is always interesting you know when you realize that that exists in the world past you know you you the cover stories on an issue of fango like oh cool stan winston's making this right. pumpkin head thing awesome and then you flip to the back and you're like wait what the fuck is sledgehammer you know like <laughs> yeah exactly. yeah exactly well and, and that's and i used to really love notes from the underground because like they would cut they would solid all these like kevin lindenmith and um like who else was there like kim ritter and one of my greatest honors in in, in my life was you know the last issue of Fangoria before this this latest reboot? The last issue with Elvira on the cover. I finally got to write one of those. Oh, that's when amazing! When we did Call Girl Cthulhu, um, like I mean, literally, dude, that was one of those moments where like it's 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 one of those. I'll never have something that special again. Like um, writing that and then having our the name of our movie Call Girl Cthulhu on the cover with Elvira. Wow. Like, dude, that's that's insane. Yeah, that's nerve like, and, and, like, <laughs> it's Yeah, it's absurd. And like you know, it is. It is yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, you have experience in, you know, the DIY circles and your your passion for the tape trading circles and for filmmaking, you know, brought you to this place where you could sort of spend time with the, uh, you know, you're on the cover with Elvira. <laughs> like that's, <Yeah. laughs> you, know, you know, there aren't a lot of people that can say that. So now that you, you know, you're continuing, gosh, where am I going with this? <laughs> You're, you're fine, man. You're fine. We can go wherever you want. <laughs> uh, <laughs> here's a question. Okay. So, to me, 
watching WNUF, it, you know, as I've said, the authenticity of it is very striking. And and I have heard you in other podcasts talk about how you know you you wanted to be earnest, you wanted to show respect and love for this for this period and the and the offerings it has, so that it wouldn't come across as snarky or condescending, uh, which is right. which is always the way to do satire. So, yeah. but. It, to me, when I watch it now, you know, I was I was seven years old in 1987. So I mean, I don't remember a lot, mm. but but there's certain cultural uh, focal points and 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 references for it. So when I watch this, though, like there are little things that kind of like you know slip past and are like, okay, that's not something that would have actually happened in 1987, but I would have loved mm. for it to. You know what I mean? Like it, it it's yeah, it, sure, it sure. creates this kind of like idealized world or 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 version of that period that that a horror nerd like me would be like, yeah, I remember the horror hotlines. I remember seeing the commercials for Freddy, the the dial of Freddy right. uh, hotline. But I also am like, but I also don't like. I don't know where I'm going. Have you been to Slashback Video in Burbank? <laughs> I, I have not been to Slashback Video because I'm uh, we're we're based in you know in Baltimore. yeah you're in Baltimore this, but like but like I have you know I've been to um, Burbank a couple times over the years and I love it but I've not been to that exhibit I've been to Mystic Museum before but now I have that so like what you're saying I think is really interesting because it's like you're right like there's certain things that I sort of amp up a little bit because we're just having fun with 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 the thing with with the, with the um, mythology. However, there's something that's interesting to consider there is like the whole theme of WNUF because there's not like it's not really like you know like in in, in, a, in, a, in a normal narrative feature film like, for, like let's talk about Call Girl for example. The theme of Call Girl you know really has to do with like adolescent male fears mm-hmm. of female sexuality. Oh yeah, right? and then like and that and that's something you can explore in a linear structure movie like with like three acts and. And things like that, you can explore that pretty pretty easily. With WF, there's main characters, but it has to be based in reality. So like mm-hmm. Frank Stewart doesn't really have an, an arc like a traditional main character would have yeah. an arc, except for like except for maybe like just a descent into into the madness. <laughs> However, the film itself does have this sort of interesting thematic premise where it's, it becomes more meta, right? Yes. Like, yes. okay, you're watching a movie that takes place in 1987 and wants you to believe it's 1987, but we shot it in 2012, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, so you have that, and you also have the idea of, like, well, you know, and this is a spoiler, so I got to be careful how I, I'm going to carefully say this. You know, what is haunting the Weber house? Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> so, like, you, you, you have, like, you have all these things in the movie that are really, like, it's all about perception of reality. And, like, yes. and what is, what, what is the, how are we filtering whether, whether we're selling a narrative through media, i.e., shitty television commercials and marketing a product, you know, or you're, or you're sort of looking at, you're looking through things through this very interesting lens that wants you to, that's serving its own agenda, mm-hmm. right? Not necessarily what it means in, in authenticity or, or, you know, just frankly reality. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think, so thank you for helping me find the thread of what I was trying to get at. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Because... <laughs> I don't get to talk about that much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's true. And, it, and it's actually perfect timing episode wise for us because our last episode did, was a big discussion of, you know, death and tragedy shock film and pseudo snuff uh-huh. and the ideas of perception versus reality and, and what the media's place in is in uh, manufacturing our reality is. So it it kind of comes around to, to questions about like you. So you set up in this film and I heard in the commentary and I want to make sure I heard this correctly. You shot all of the Weber House stuff in two days. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that so, is um, that is mind blowing. <laughs> because... yeah, yeah, dude. Well, but here, but here's the thing, man. Like, like literally. Okay, we did a week of rehearsals with all the actors, but like we had, yeah, it was like the majority. I, I will say this: we shot. I think we shot one or two scenes. We shot a lot on Friday, a ton on Saturday, and then we shot one or two scenes. I think on the Sunday, I'm pretty sure. But it was like it was like super. 
it was super straightforward and easy mm-hmm. stuff on Sunday. Like it was literally we booked Sunday as our pickup day, you know, because we wanted to make sure if we messed up on the two days, yeah. we'd have some, you know, we, yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, we shot. I mean, we shot. That's like that was like forty five pages or something. Yeah, that is that is crazy because also you know speaking of you know critical evaluation of a traditional narrative film, if you're going to do that with this, the Weber House stuff is that's the whole narrative. Like that's that's what yeah, your exactly. that's what your traditional film narrative is, with the mm-hmm. exception of well, I would say it's like ninety five percent, and then there's five percent that that you get from that harvest segment earlier in the film, and the rest right. is yeah, all exactly. world building to make sure that you're invested in this narrative, uh, and you don't it's it's fun it's a slick trick because you don't even notice it until until it's all said and done, and uh, no, you're dude, you're totally right, yeah, and and but the funny thing is what you're saying is like some people hate that, like some people hate the idea that like. I don't know. It's this weird dance, right? Let me let me see if I articulate this correctly. Like, okay, when you're watching a movie, like let's say you're watching an eighty or ninety minute horror movie, you know that it's it's a lean story, and therefore everything you're being shown is a setup or a payoff and exists for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. So you come to expect, oh, why'd they show me a close up of that shotgun on the wall? Guess that's going to show up in Act Three, right? <laughs> yeah. But with like WNUF, like I had to have so much of it be about atmosphere. And just sort of the vibe that, like, if something came back, it was a nice surprise. It yeah. wasn't, you never expected anything to come back. Yeah, exactly. And I love that. But, you know, yeah, but some people hated that, dude. Some people were like, what's the point of this? Too many commercials. Like, all right, well, <laughs> did you fucking watch TV in the 80s then, or 90s? Yeah. <laughs> commercials. I don't even want to yeah. talk to someone like that because I will go on YouTube specifically to watch commercials yeah. from the 80s yeah. and 90s. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I have at least on three occasions uh, just sat in my house for. For an hour and a half watching Time Life book commercials. So yeah. it's f- fuck those people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also, well, and I'm always I'm always curious too because like, and, and some of those people are just like curmudgeons. Mm-hmm. But there's also like a contingent of younger kids that don't understand it. You know what I mean? Because it's like they didn't grow up with that. Yeah, it's not a thing. Like they they don't have any VHS tapes in their house of of you know a movie that was taped off of the Saturday Night movie that has exactly. those commercials, so they didn't grow up with it. I also think there's something to be said about like you know the maybe younger generations. That, that haven't had to cultivate a patience for things, you know, sure. where, where it's like uh, me growing up when I grew up, and I'm sure Adam is, 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 can share this. When you went to a video store, you wanted, you know, when you wanted to watch a horror movie, you went to the video store. Yeah. yeah. It, you right. checked the TV guide. If it wasn't on there, you went to the video store and you would have to choose. And if a movie you wanted to see wasn't in, you had to pick something else. Usually based on the cover. Yeah. yeah. It was always based on the yeah. cover. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. You see, you see that uh, Joe Spinell's boner hidden by his jeans while holding a woman's severed head, and it's like, is mom gonna let me rent this today? My dad was so into like, like I spit on your grave type stuff. Oh, so there was, and my parents, like my parents, didn't want to not go to the movies just because they had kids. So I saw yeah. every horror movie in theaters <laughs> when I was like five. And so, like, I saw Friday the 13th, one, two, and three in theaters. And I was born in 76. <laughs> oh, gosh. So I would have been like, you I were know four years old when that first they, movie yeah, came out. <laughs> all I can think is they maybe reran it at some point, yeah. maybe before the second yeah. one. And maybe I saw them because, it, yeah, if not, I remember seeing it from four. So yeah. there was nothing ever in the video That's store that crazy. was out of reach. Like 
if I wanted to see a horror movie, my dad would be like, yeah, yeah and let's that, watch that. And that was the special experience of our generation because my, again, my, like my mom would let me rent stuff that other yeah. kids, like I was the kid that people would come to my house if their parents didn't <laughs> let them watch horror yeah. movies right. because they knew that my mom would let us watch them. So, so if I had a friend, he would come to my house to watch Friday the 13th part six or whatever. And you know, that was, that was our privilege at that time. But now something like WNUF might be, you know, it's challenging because it's one of those things that requires and rewards a certain level of patience. Right. Mm. That is if you don't have the frame of reference. Like if you have the frame of reference, you don't need to be patient with this film because you're you're in from jump. Right. Like like as soon as that blue screen comes up, you're like, oh, this is my shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But but if you're not familiar with that, it's the kind of thing where you're going to have to kind of like, you know, it's it's God, it's the same as watching like you know, a Suchajit Ray film or like, uh, you know, a French postmodernist, uh, French New Wave film. Like, y- you're mm-hmm. going to have to, like, prepare yourself to to be challenged. And right. I, right, I right, don't right. know if anyone else has ever compared WNUF special to, you know, <laughs> to Pather Panchali or Pierre Olafou, yeah. but there it is. I, I, really, I really do. <laughs> I do think I made the breathless. Yeah, but and, and it, it also as it, on the on the topic of reality versus perception. You know, it, it's a film again, not to spoil, but it does set up this possible supernatural situation, and then it reveals. A, a more grounded, let's say, truth in its mm-hmm. in its in its reveal, and it's a callback, and it's a thing that it's, it's not a cheat because it's referenced. You know, it's it's the same as the gun above the the fireplace, and it it messes with the way that you would watch a horror film in that way too. And normally, I don't like that. Normally, if you tell me there's a supernatural thing and then there's a reveal that it's not, I'm like, oh fuck you, I wanted a monster. Yeah, yeah. Right. But in this yeah. case, it's done so well, and it's grounded in this in the again with this world building and these characters that I'm invested in and with a point to it actually too <laughs> that that I really admire and you you take us through this idea of paranormal tabloid television which is which is a thing that I grew up with and a thing that I'm sure you grew up with that uh, and some of our mm. listeners grew up with that I absolutely love and then it takes us into this death and tragedy shock footage pseudo snuff space uh, yeah. that is it, it, like you don't even notice how disturbing it is <laughs> until that you know that fine not the final sequence not the epilogue but the the uh, final scene and i'm just wondering yeah, if that yeah. was a if that was a thing that if you were conscious of the fact that you were doing that while you were making this or if it was just uh you wanted the narrative reversal to happen and this and this thematic reversal was a happy uh well, yeah no and I, and I thought that was really important i mean like because i wanted to have Look, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it is a horror comedy. You know, like there's yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of humor in there, and and it and it's not it's I really try not to make it self aware. I mean, there's humor, but I mean, I, but I, you said Robert Altman, I would almost say like Christopher Guest. Oh you know? yeah, like it feels yeah. Like you know, it, it feels like like you know, if Best in Show was a horror movie. Oh, right? absolutely. And, and I think yeah. that's and I think that's that's there's fun. There's sort of like this humor that exists in the awkwardness, but at the same time too, when 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 it came time for real horror, I didn't I didn't want it to be like. You know, if they're like the best horror comedies have horror that really feels scary. Still, mm-hmm. you okay. know, well, and, and like, um, and while I, I, well, and while personally, I don't ever think I've made a film that's like truly scary. I think there are people that do get upset by you know the scene you're referencing, where um, um, where, where the big reveal at the end, right? And yeah. Because it is, 
it's a it's a it's a hard like left or right turn or whatever you want to call it. Like it, it doesn't feel like the rest of the. But yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. It is it 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 does feel kind of like a hard left, and it, and it's one of those things that if you are familiar, like you know, I, I did mention the Bud Dwyer footage. If you're familiar with that, or if you're familiar with any other example of you know what we consider shock footage, it's it it's reminiscent of that, and it really yeah. is like it's one of those things that you don't know you're getting punched in the gut until. I think until the static, <laughs> like, yeah. like that's when it really resonates. And it's, I, I really think that it moves into that so well and so fluidly. I don't know. It gives you something to digest afterwards. And of course the film does, I think is very, it ends with one of the best jokes ever right? <laughs> in, that, in that epilogue uh, for people who are, you know, uh, who are fans of the holiday Halloween and uh, maybe not so much Christmas. It's a great, it's a great Thank joke you. at yeah, the end there. Yeah. And also, that's also, to point it out, that's the only time the found footage conceit of this film is really broken. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with, 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 and there's, there's the rewinding and there's also the idea that like, because you don't know whose tape you're watching, mm-hmm. right? Obviously, you end up assuming it's, it's the Harvest tape, right? Yeah. Um, but like, um, the only reason why I did the fast forwarding was because, and, and theoretically, you could be, you, if you want to get weird about it, you could say you're watching it with Harvest, right? Like, yeah, I, I guess yeah because like it, sometimes it's like, is there a ghost controlling the remote control and fast forwarding things, or what's? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. I like that. Yeah, number. but um, yeah, I mean, the fast forwarding just came one of those things where it's like. Was I really going to make everybody watch like Dr. Stanley Allen for another two minutes? Yeah. You know, like it was like, gonna, like things like that, like when they replayed the news packages or we saw the same commercials again. For me personally, it was just like, all right, there's, there's sucking with the audience and then there's just being an asshole. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, for sure. But it, I mean, it does, it also yeah. like does lend it kind of a supernatural quality, you know, as a cue almost in the way that, say, in UFO abduction, in that film, the, the, the footage getting messed with is a, right. is a cue for the supernatural or the paranormal element to come in mm-hmm. and it serves as that in place of something like a musical score which i think is very interesting yeah yeah and we we talk a lot we've talked a lot in this season about what the differences are between what we consider pure found footage versus a pseudo doc or a pseudo doc with a found footage component that then takes over the narrative and breaks the fourth wall and in a lot of these scenarios the film in question breaks its found footage conceit at some point and WNUF does not do that outside of the fast forward bits until the very ending with that epilogue and yeah, and I think yeah. I don't know. I just think it's 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 another thing to admire about it. Now, having having said all this, do you have a a favorite? I know that the film was inspired uh, partially by the what the Tales from the Crypt episode, Television Terror, possibly. Mm. I mm. I think I heard that in an interview. Yeah, that, you, that, that, that was definitely. I mean, that was definitely part of it. Um, I, I, there's a lot. There's a lot of influences there, but that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Yeah, which is a great episode. And yeah. but do, do you have a favorite Halloween special? Mm. Okay. Now, are we talking like Halloween special, like like actually like a TV show that does <laughs> Halloween specials, or like or like like a movie or a standalone like, thing? Uh, I I by the way, I love that you're making a distinction here. Uh, <laughs> okay. You, you well, are my people. Like, for example, if, if if you say like movie, I would say like I love the Midnight Hour. If you if anyone's ever seen the Midnight Hour, um, you guys familiar with that at all by chance? I am not. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so I've seen um, it. It was, it was a movie that I think either ABC or NBC made to cash in on Thriller. 
so like they got like Harry Belafonte's daughter. Uh, I don't know. Her, I don't remember her name off the top of my head, but she Sherry. plays like this lady. And it takes place in Pitchfork Cove, Massachusetts. Basically, they resurrect this. Like they put on the. They break into this witch museum. Put on these clothes. One of the girls turns into a witch. All these zombies come back from the life, and it's a made-for-TV movie. And it, it, I think it only aired that one year. Unless maybe they re-aired it again. It, but but one of my one of my honors in life was um we played a double feature WNUF and the Night Hour played a, a double feature in Hollywood uh, back in 2005, I think. Oh, that's I mean, amazing. I mean, 2015, I mean, 2015, I mean. How did I yeah, not was, hear um, about that? I would have gone. It, it's... <laughs> It's really good. It's, it's really awesome. I'm sure it's on YouTube, but, um, but I know they, they. I know Anchor Bay put it out at one point. Oh wow! Uh, okay, let me think about this. So actual <laughs> specials. Oh man, an actual Halloween special. What do I watch every year? Hmm. I, okay, you know what? Honestly, this is this is one. Of, this is actually. I don't watch it every year, but it is really special. It's. It, this is a hundred percent one of the influences for WNUF. It's on YouTube. It's called Mike Randall. Halloween special or Mike Randall's Halloween special or something like that. It's not like it's it's not like the same type of story as WNF, like going into a haunted house. But like this was a guy I think in Buffalo, New York, or Syracuse, New York, and he he, it, he was a newscaster in in the eighties. He, he definitely like there was a certain part of him that I like. He's way more lovable than Frank Stewart, but like he's definitely <laughs> been an influence what WNUF was. I'm trying to think besides that, yeah, I don't know. And huh. actually, you know, what, you, you got you you guys will get a kick out of this. One of the original reasons why I wanted to do WNF was. You know, being in Baltimore, we have we have uh, a lot of you know legends and lore about oh, Edgar yeah. Allan Poe. So one of the things that happened that made me want to make this movie was there was a live seance on the radio back in like nineteen, I think it was like seventy eight or seventy nine, and it was at the Edgar Allan Poe house. And I had heard about this, and I was like, I was I was desperate. I was like trying so bad to like somehow find a copy, but it never. Like, no, no one ever recorded There's no copy of it anyway. Mm-hmm. If anyone listens to this, somehow find one. Find one, please let me know. But, like, it was one of the reasons I was like, I'd love to do something with a televised seance in a movie. Like, that'd be really funny. Um, and, and, like, and, 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 and that was literally one of the things that just got me stoked about this project. Now, subsequently, since I've never been able to find that, ep- that, that recording, and no one has ever been able to tell me about it, me, my wife, and some friends went to the catacombs um, right by Poe's grave, either last year or the year before, and I was talking to the guy's name was Jeff Jerome, who runs the Edgar Allan Poe House. And I was asking him, I was like, you know, Jeff, do you, do you have any way you get a copy of that radio show? I really want to hear it. I'd, I'd love to know how they did that. Yeah. And, and like what happened during it? He's like, well, it's really funny you mentioned that because like there's no recording. I'll tell you who the psychic was, this and that. He said, long story short, short, the guy who was doing it was like, it was, it was a hoax. I mean, it was not a hoax, but it was like obvious, like he wasn't getting anything. Yeah. But what was interesting was the... After they stopped recording, like after they stopped airing, somebody was recording upstairs, or I, I, I can't remember the exact component of the story. Long story short, one of the, the recording techs ended up recording something that he believes to be a ghost, but it wasn't on air. Like he, he was like uh, in the attic, we heard this thing huh. happen, but it was after we had packed up and after the psychic had gone home. So it was like this really kind of crazy story that like, and it was really fitting to hear that story way after I made WF. Yeah, that's an interesting story. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I, do, I, I, I do, I do have a ghost story about shooting WNUF, uh, but I don't know how much, I don't know if you care about it. So I don't know what I tell you ghost story. Well, I, I like, mean, if you want to talk about the movie, we can talk about the movie. Well, I was actually going to ask you something about that because you, so in the, in the commentary for the film you do ref- you do refer to uh what you call the 80s blatant localism which is yes. uh, an idea that i love because you know i i 
again, celebrate what I call backyard movies, that regional yeah. cinema, but I also love regional lore. And I'm a big fan. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Iowa and we have our share of ghost stories and legends and everything. Yeah. And growing up in Baltimore there with the Poe House and, and all of that old East Coast history, do you have a, a bit of, uh, I was going to ask if you had a favorite bit of local lore from Baltimore or if... I mean, but if you have a thing from from actual filming of WNUF, that'd be great as well. Yeah, um, I'll keep I'll keep the lore just because it's a long story with the well, not a super long story, but okay, so the lore of Baltimore. So Baltimore's super rich in folklore. I mean, like you've got Poe, but you've also got crazy crazy things like um, um well, and, and I shouldn't say Baltimore; it's more like Maryland because like you have something like the Snallygaster in Frederick, Maryland. There's a thing that I think now they realized it was messing with his, his readers, but there was a flying creature, sort of like the Jersey Devil called the Snallygaster that was flying around Western Maryland at some point. You know, Teddy Roosevelt came and tried to, like, you know, like, tried to, whatchamacallit, like, like hunt it. But I think this all ended up being, like, a joke based off some newspaper editor. And, and all that stuff really is, I love that stuff. I mean, if you guys ever, if you guys are ever in the area, like, visiting Baltimore or D.C., I run an oddities museum. Um, in, in the back room of my buddy's record store, Protean Books and Records, I have an oddities museum called Dr. Gloom's Crypt of Curiosities. And it's literally all sideshow gaffs and, and folklore and, and monster stuff, right? Yes, yeah, so um, I want to live so there. So we're gonna we're gonna go right now. Yeah, we're on our way <laughs> over. <Yeah. laughs> a record store in front too. Oh man! I wish the listeners yeah. could have seen Adam's face light up there when you said yeah. that. Uh, Dude, and like, and it's, it's fun, man. I mean, like we've, we've got Elvis's third nipple. We've got a vampire skeleton. Um, we've got you know all kinds of goofy shit. We got PG mermaids. But yeah, and, and that's like just a, a thing that I did because it was it was fun. Like obviously that does not make me any money whatsoever. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, okay. So there's a lot of stuff like that in, in Baltimore. Uh, a lot of ghost stories. But the story I have with WNF is really interesting because this is just like a ghost story. Okay, so we shot a lot of movies at the Weber House. It was about blabbing it. The Weber House is it was a, a, a mansion where priests priests lived it was it was basically a rectory uh, yeah, like, abandoned they lived there while they were yeah. yeah exactly and literally it was, it was empty we, and we shot like three or four movies there i think wf was like the the third third one because we also shot called cthulhu partially there and it was it was a spooky mansion like literally it was huge it was enormous so the one night we filmed the saturday night i was like dude it is october i'm like a, a young single dude i'm going to like you know like any cool young single dude i wanted to spend the night alone in a haunted house <laughs> 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 uh, you know, and I was and I was like, all right, I'm gonna go after everyone leaves. I'm gonna go to Seven Eleven and like get like a like a like um like a like a hot dog or, or whatever. Come back and and, and, and like and sort of like sneak back in after security is locked up. Like I left the door open in the back that I knew I could get in and go in there. So so I went in there and I and I and I went there and I, I was like, all right, I'm gonna crawl up on the couch, like you know, use my hoodie as a blanket, and fall asleep. And about like two or three a.m. in the morning. I wake up on the couch, and I'm the only person in this place. And it's and it's interesting because it's empty. Like there's very little furniture, and every sound in there reverberates. So I'm I'm laying uh, like on the couch, and uh, it's around two or three a.m. And I wake up because I hear this door creak open, and like I sit up, and this place is empty. Like literally, like there's nothing in there. So the sound really, you know, ping pongs around the space. So I I I sort of sit up, and I'm a little nervous, and I hear footsteps. And and they're they're loud. I mean, these footsteps oh. are like walking in to the center of the of the the the, the um the main room, the main entrance, the foyer. And I'm like terrified because like I you know it, it, no one's talking at all, and and I'm sort of freaking out. And I'm like, I guess I'm just gonna stay here frozen because I like I'm pretty sure I locked up. But whatever happens was the footsteps walked into the room, and then they stopped. Like they never left. 
Like oh. literally, like the footsteps, the the footsteps never walked back, and a door never closed. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, so it was really terrifying. Wow. And somehow, I mean, maybe maybe it's because I'm like a narcoleptic. I I managed to fall back asleep, but it was to this day it's still one of the scariest things. Yeah, that's no, that's unnerving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely yeah. scary. That you fell back asleep yeah. is amazing, though. I yeah, definitely I would not would be not. falling back asleep. But that, that tells you how. Well, you know, if you, if you shot like thirty pages in one day, you'd probably fall asleep. Actually, too. yeah, you know what? Yeah. Now that you say it, yeah. Now that you mentioned that part, yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So okay. Oh, I have another. I have a couple weird questions. <laughs> sure. Yes. Of course. One of, of course. them is uh, from the commentary, referencing the commentary of the show of the film. Uh, did the distributor ever pay you for Witches Brew, or? <laughs> what was I ever paid for Witches Brew? Yeah, we finally. <clears throat> That's what we got for Witches Brew. The biggest advance we ever got, actually. Um, well, I guess Call Girl was more, but Call Girl was a buyout. Um, we actually ended up like selling them the movie outright. Witches Brew, we got paid four grand, um, and uh, it took a long time, dude. I'd ha- like I'd hassle that distributor a lot. Like I mean, literally, like it, it makes me feel like a psychopath, and I am a psychopath. But I call like literally for like a year. I called them every day, and I'm talking oh like my God. I'm talking like three times a day. Like it was insane because and, like finally the guy just broke down because he's like it, it, like he was just too annoyed by it. I, I really don't even think they had the money. Like I think at some point he was just like I'm going to I'm going to pay this guy in my own pocket because this is insane. <laughs> yeah, that is that is an, that is a that's again that's another thing I I admire. That's a, <laughs> that's another thing. Like just like I'm envious of the ambition that it takes to like see filmmaking through. I'm also envious of the uh, assertiveness to make a phone call. Yeah, I can't make phone I mean, calls. I'm, yeah, I'm bad. I'm so bad. We at we it. had to fight over which one was going to call you today. <laughs> Dude, I love I love talking on the phone though because here's my thing like like texting for me like if I'm doing something else and like the the text keeps you know oh, dinging yeah. over and over again I lose my mind. I'd much rather have a two minute conversation versus you know yeah. um, six text messages, especially since I talk so fast. I can get a lot out in a short time. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, I believe yeah. it. <laughs> you have another film coming out very soon, ish, yeah. right? It's how do you have yeah. a release date on it? I don't. So okay. So here's the thing. It, it, this is a really interesting situation. We after Call Girl, Call Girl Cthulhu took a lot out of this. It, it was the biggest movie we ever made. It was the biggest budget. It ended up being about forty one thousand dollars. Which some may be listening. It's like that's not a big budget. And I'm like, you're right. But for us, it was. Yeah. It's it's um, I believe uh, nearly forty times the budget of WNUF. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so like what ends up what ends up happening with, with, with Call Girl was like we were exhausted. But what was weird was we were in post-production on Call Girl when all of the sort of accolade of WNF hit. Mm-hmm. And we were presented with all these incredible opportunities, like not incredible, not OK. We were presented with a couple opportunities to make a movie at a slightly higher budget level, um, more money than we ever received. But it was like not enough money to quit our day jobs and really like, you know, make, make the next level movie. And this is you, this is you I, and Jimmy George. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So my, my, my frequent co-writer to producer. Um, but yeah. So what ended up happening was he, he, we basically were in a situation where like we wanted to make another movie, but we, we didn't have any money. And like all the people that were offering us stuff, all the, the movies they wanted us to make, we were sort of like, nah, that's not really exciting for us. Like, that's not something we're passionate about. So we ended up taking, a, we ended up making this movie called What Happens Next Will Scare You. And What Happens Next Will Scare You is sort of thematically about where we were in our lives. You know, like, were we putting out, the, the thematic question in the movie is, are we putting out purposeful, you know, wor- worthwhile content? Or are we just doing jazz hands? Are we literally just sort of being like, making a horror movie to make a horror movie? Are we doing something that actually has value, that we, like mm. a story that we want to tell? And it's, it's a found footage um, anthology 
psychology, meaning like it's, it's basically the story is 10 people in a BuzzFeed style office voting <laughs> on the top 13 scariest viral videos. And basically, so you see all the videos that they're watching, but in the, in the story, one of, one of the entries of the night unleashes all the monsters from these viral videos. Oh, so it gosh. ends up being sort of like a, sort of like a micro budget cabin in the woods, like something along the lines of, of like that, or like almost like waxworks. Um, oh, I yeah. love waxwork. Yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. favorite. So, <laughs> but 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 dude, here's the thing. Like, and, and and it's a lot of great stuff in the movie, and it's it's um, but it's taken a long time, and it took a long time for a couple reasons. One, I think what our what our our lives changed. You know, in the course of those years, like my job became a career. I started working really seriously in marketing, and advertising. I became a creative director. Jimmy started his own business, reading scripts, and you know, like I got married, I bought a house, and. And that stuff with with the horror movies, because I think what happens next was shot for like five grand, like not not really, you know, not not a big budget at all. And it, but it was weird, like it took longer than like WNF. We shot script to screen in no more than nine months, probably even faster than that. I, I can't remember. The, I if I actually sat down and wrote yeah. months months that I could figure it out. But like what happens next? We shot that in two. We started shooting the segments in two thousand. Mm, 14 or 15 and it's still not done i mean like i i, I turned in my my edit in august to to a buddy of mine my, my buddy bob that's doing all the compositing and the color grading mm-hmm. but like it's insane to me that movie's not done because it tells you two things it tells you one this doesn't get easier as you get older yeah. like directing is very much a, a young man's game and also i mean like this is very very open and honest with you <laughs> um <laughs> I don't think our heart was in that movie like the other movies, you know, like, like I think, I think there's segments in the movie that are awesome and there's some really cool shit there. Like the burgers are in the new, the burgers have a segment in what happens next. I'm really um, excited to see them again. Yeah, they fight a killer teddy bear. But like, basically, like, and there's there's a lot of cool shit in the movie. Like, you literally a Vatican sanctioned how to perform an exorcism tape. You know, a, a Bigfoot segment. There's, there's crazy stuff in it. But it was it was it's sometimes you just gotta like um I don't know, dude. It's gonna be a fun movie, but it doesn't have the uh, the same. How do I put this? So it doesn't sound super negative. <laughs> we, we, I, yeah, I, you want I, people I, to I see it. <laughs> No, yeah, exactly. No, trust me, new people are gonna like it. The trailer's gonna be fucking dope. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, it's a cool movie. I mean, there's a lot of crazy shit. I just think it's a, it's a different. It's a more thematically, it's a little bit more of a tricky movie to talk about because it's really it's it's the most personal movie we've done. And I don't know necessarily if if the the personal issues we were working out would resonate um. with just you know people that were you know just get stoked about the latest saw movie you know what mm-hmm. i mean like it's, yeah it's like it, it's it's like it's a little bit deeper for for a, a micro budget horror movie well and that seems kind of one of the like one of those things where you're not going to really know until yeah it happens because you know bands go through that too a lot i mean you know being a you know into the punk scene as well like you know yeah. bands sometimes will go through well i mean not just lineup changes but like you know if somebody in the band gets married somebody in the band like starts another business or whatever and then they get back together to record another album and it's like they're having personal issues or yeah. or, or whatever and it's like you you just you're not going to know until it until it comes out well it's also really interesting i mean like i've gotten really i'm fascinated to talk about this stuff because when i was a kid and even into my even into my i'd probably say till my late 20s i could not wrap my head around like, hey, why'd Don Dollar stop making movies? Like, hey, yeah. like, like, leave Yonker. Like, why'd you only make Darkness? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, where's like, Demon like, Machine? 
Yeah, like, and I would get really obsessed about this, like, you know, like, what changed in your life that made this difficult or made you not want to do it? And I, I've talked to a lot of those guys, and, like, not that I'm older, obviously, I never got to meet him before he passed away, but, like, I talked to a lot of those, those filmmakers that I loved as a kid and I just tried to understand what changed in their life. And a, and a lot of the stuff was the same things I've been going through in, in the last couple of years, where it's, like, when we finally got to the, t- the point where, where we got offers, we realized the offers to make the next level movie, they weren't good. I mean, yeah. like, it, like they were, like they were sort of like they're sort of like, okay, I'm gonna take, I'll go, I'm gonna quit my job and make a movie for ten grand, meaning like that's my salary. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, that's, yeah. like, that's, <laughs> that's not, that's not responsible. <laughs> and like, especially when you're married or or you have a house or a mortgage, like that really changes that. So like, I think about that a lot of times when like you know like like horror fans are like, I'm just gonna torrent your movie or just like you know twenty dollars for a DVD. What the fuck? Like, can't it be five dollars? Like. Not if you want me to keep making this stuff. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Ex- yeah, we're not yeah. exactly in a in a in a period of capitalism where uh, where it's working out for artists, right? Right. So, exactly. And and it, it, probably, it probably never did. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. No, it ne- never really did. But it, there was at least at one point an illusion of the middle class for artists, where it's now right, it's right. like you're well, either going to be a megastar or you're going to you know have to have a side job for have a Patreon, yeah, or yeah. have a Patreon. <laughs> like you know, it's well, even. It, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting you bring that up because it's like you know, not to, not to say any more negative stuff about what happens next because I am legitimately I think it's a fun movie. But like that was us like making movie to sort of stay relevant. Yeah, which is interesting when you think about the movie. Whereas like at this point in my life, like I, I made the Oddities Museum, like I made the Crypt, and then like I, I I did a couple other things like you know like Melissa, my wife and I, we put out a a, a record of um urban of folk songs inspired by urban legends, and like so I was doing all these little projects, and and like what, what came back to me was the reason why we're doing the W sequel is because like I realized like that's what made me happy like making WNUF is one of the happiest times I've ever had making a movie and I kept looking at it and I was like dude like no one is making me make this movie, but I really want to do it. Like, it's something I think about. It's, it's something I think about nonstop because, like, I don't wake up in the morning and think, how am I going to make a movie to pay my rent? I only make movies when I want to make movies, mm-hmm. you know? So it's sort of cool to think about, like, I just, like, WNF is going to exist because I just have the passion inside me to make it, right? Yeah. And I think that's something that people can sort of look at when they think about donating to our GoFundMe uh, campaign. It's like, okay, is Chris doing this to get paid? No. Literally every dollar we we raise is going to go on the screen. Yeah. So it's like if people like the original want the want the sequel to happen, then like it's 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 pretty cool to know that literally every dollar they give is going to go just to make the movie that much better. Well, and that's yeah, so. that's an important uh, because yeah, we are kind of at that place where I mean you know it was uh, the e- the movie Equinox. Uh, if you're familiar uh-huh. with that film from um, God, like the the seventies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 The those guys you know they made this backyard regional horror movie out of passion. You know, they were all kids, basically, and Jack Harris picks it up and <laughs> recuts oh. it and releases it theatrically, and they all, you know, some of them go on to make ILM, and that's their careers forever. That's not happening anymore. You know, even, right. even right. you know, even J.R. Bookwalter, that's, he worked with, you know, Sam Raimi, and that didn't happen. Yeah for him like it's we've we've moved and even now it's it's worse than that <laughs> where where it's like we you know if you want to make something and you want to make something that you're passionate about you're probably going to have to have a day job as well and and it's a frustrating time to be alive and i think that's what my point was i don't know why i just was like yeah let's be bummed out for a minute <laughs> <laughs> but like but what you're saying is a really good point i mean like i remember i, I saw um, john carpenter speak at i think like a monster 
Animaniac convention, and he was saying how there are a million people, or not a million people, he's like, he's like, I, you know, what did he go to USC, I think? Um, mm-hmm. He was saying, he was like, when, when the people I was with at school at USC, there were dozens of kids that were more talented than me. Dozens, but I was just lucky. Mm-hmm. And and like and like, don't get me wrong. John Carpenter is incredibly talented. He's, yeah. he's a huge hero of mine. But like, I don't doubt him. Like, there's probably people that were probably better writers or better composers or better directors. But there was something in their life that just didn't line up right. Yeah. And and for me, for for me personally, like the situation has always been every opportunity I've gotten always ends up coming about three or four years too late. Where <laughs> like, man, if so, if someone offered if someone had offered me a hundred grand to make a movie when I was like you know, like 25 and like single and in between jobs. Like, yeah, I would have taken that. I would have, yeah. I would have worked, I would have worked as a salary 10 grand for the year and then just done whatever. But, but that's not realistic when I'm, when mm-hmm. I'm, you know, in my thirties, like it's absurd. So. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and you have to, yeah, you, you got to find that balance. And yeah, also just, you know, the one, ex- I guess the one exciting thing about you know the fact that the days of getting lucky on the john carpenter or dennis murin level you know those days are over but it means now because of the democratization of you know the availability of filmmaking resources and you know the removal of some of these gatekeepers and the fact that like you know there's so much out there that uh, you know there's not there's never going to be another beatles there's never going to be another elvis because there's no one person that's going to be able to take up all of the channels that way that's the exciting thing is that now some of us still get to actually make the stuff we want to make and there's and there's a market for it it just it just means you know don't torrent <laughs> don't stream yeah uh you know donate to the gofundme and buy the dvd right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and, and I, I think what's interesting too is is there are you're right democratization of, of the media filmmaking is fantastic i mean we're seeing a lot of like a, a wider variety a lot of diverse storytellers the problem now however is how do you get your message out, man? I mean, yeah. like, like it's so, it's so, if I could have went back in time and told myself a couple things, and any filmmakers listening to this, this is actually really good advice. One, legitimately, like, you should have an email list because, like, Facebook can throttle what people see, Instagram throttles what people see, Twitter is good, but that, but that's a whole different ball game. And like, I really wish I would have, like, every time we had a screening, every time we were at a convention, I wish I would have got people's emails because that's the only way you can actually get directly into people. And then me personally, like, Jimmy George was was. Jimmy George ran the call girl Twitter and then basically parlayed that into his own Twitter presence. And I wish I had done the same thing mm. because like, dude, I, I am so terrible at Twitter. I actually really don't like Twitter that very much at all, <laughs> but it is, it, but it is cause, cause for me, it just feels like a little bit, I don't want to say phony, but it just feels like, um, I feel like it's that hyper relevancy, yeah. right? Yeah. You have to have a comment. You have to have a comment on, on, on something on like six times a day. Yeah. Yeah. And it's now like, it's dude, like, nobody, nobody really cares. And now yeah. Twitter's turning into Facebook in that, like, you know, as a com- as comedians, Twitter was a resource for me and Adam because it was like, oh, this is a good joke writing format. Right. And then now it's exactly. like, now it's just memes and just, like, what what is there to be outraged about now? Right. Like, that's literally right. all Twitter is now. And I get on Twitter. And to, comedy to show read. flyers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's a nightmare. Yeah. But, but, I mean, <laughs> you speaking of Twitter, you've been great on Twitter recently because of your Dude, pushing. I've been trying my best. Oh, my God. Those Christmas cards. <laughs> Those Christmas poems have been incredible. Thank uh, you. <laughs> you've been, I think you've been doing a great job with uh, with your creativity regarding the uh, campaign for the WNUF sequel. And since Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I guess since we're on that topic, what I, I don't want to ask any narrative details about it because I feel like I know yeah. too much already from listening to another interview with you where I was like, oh, yeah. that's cool, but I wish I didn't know that because now, you know, I'm, I'm still excited to check it out. I can't wait. I just don't yeah. want anything <laughs> spoiled for me. Uh, sure. But 
what as far as the the, the crowdfunding campaign is concerned, the GoFundMe is is concerned. Mm-hmm. Why don't you talk about that for a little bit? <laughs> so all right, so we're making a sequel to WNF Halloween Special. And I'm very careful, and we're raising the money on GoFundMe. I'll, I'll explain very quickly why we're doing GoFundMe. I wanted to do crowdsourcing, but I knew with the current social media market, like doing a 30-day or 60-day campaign with Kickstarter and Indiegogo wasn't going to be enough time to get mm-hmm. eyeballs on it. So I used GoFundMe for a couple of reasons. One, because they literally don't have a max time. I could run it for three years if I wanted to. I won't do that because I would probably be dead if I kept promoting it after, <laughs> <laughs> after a couple months. It's already been very emotionally taxing. But the other thing was, too, they take the lowest percentage out of any of the crowdsourcing platform. So, if, so literally, like, if somebody wants the money to go to the screen, they'd want us to use GoFundMe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think, I think what I think it ends up being like four percent taken out or so, whereas like um, Indiegogo and Kickstarter about eight to ten percent. Plus, Kickstarter is owned by Amazon. Jeff Bezos has enough money. Yeah, Jeff um, Bezos is but, a monster. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but okay. So like, all right. So the WNF sequel. All right. So like, so whoever's listening to this, it's, it's, it's seen the original. Is like, how the hell did you make a sequel to that movie? All right. Well. It's obviously going to be a little bit different of a type of movie, right? It takes place in the 1990s. It is not a reboot or remake. It is literally a continuation of the same universe we built and um they'll be returning characters i mean like there there are characters that are coming back now i'm not going to explain how or or to what extent they'll be coming back but like frank stewart will be in the sequel um the burgers will be in the sequel the uh trying to think uh, officer bookwalter's in the sequel stanley (laughs) allen's in the sequel veronica stanzi's in the sequel the guy who plays acid dracula like the guy who says somebody died in this house oh yeah um (laughs) he is in the sequel and he's playing a vampire but he's not playing the same vampire he's playing a type (laughs) of vampire um so so this and there's a bunch more characters that are coming back, but like, but I, but I think for the most part, it's important to understand none of those characters are going to be major characters, mm-hmm. right? Their stories will fit in the movie, and it'll make sense and it'll be appropriate. But I'm being very careful. Like, this movie takes place in the 1990s, and if you look at people that were those personas in the 80s versus the 90s, there's going to be some, you know. Plus, you've also got to think about it too. How many people are there did I just mention that died in the movie? Yeah, <laughs> and how and you know, how how could how could they be in the sequel if they're dead? Well, I, I think about it for more than two minutes, and I'm sure you've <laughs> sure you come with some solutions. Yeah. Um, plus, the, the plot is something I'm trying to keep very close to my chest. The thing that I say to describe it that I don't feel uncomfortable saying mm-hmm. is, imagine, like, you guys remember the show Sightings? Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, imagine if Jerry Springer hosted an episode of Sightings. See, and I'm so sold. like that's wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and like and honestly, and honestly, man, like it's like and there will be commercials because I feel like that's part of the universe, and I think that's important. But but I'm trying to I'm trying to really keep it. I want people to get their copy and pop it in and not know it's about to yeah. you know explode in front of their eyeballs. Yeah, so it's so. going to be that same kind of format of the uh, you know the the found footage tape trading. Uh, here's yeah. something illicit almost. Um, is there so you said there's going to going to be commercials? Please tell me we're going to get like an extreme fruit snack commercial or a <laughs> like a, a chocolate chip cookie with sprinkles that explodes a yeah, school dude, classroom dude, or there's something. Gonna be, there's going to be some definitely some extreme child marketing. Um, <laughs> Like, I mean, like, I've written some of the commercials, like, there's, oh my God, dude, there's, there's some stuff where I'm like, uh, maybe that's too offensive, but like, it is so accurate <laughs> for what, what type of commercials I was watching as a kid in the early nineties. So like, like, it, I mean, it's, it's going to be, I'm confident anybody who likes the original is going to like this. Yeah. It's just a different, it's just a slightly different type of movie because it's, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do the exact same thing over again. And that's why. Well, I'll be careful here. Basically, you know, it's it's going to be different enough to stand on its own merit 
and it is a Halloween movie. It's going to take place on Halloween, but it's 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 just a little bit um it's a little bit more out there. I'll, I'll put I'll put it to you that way. All right. Well, I'm. I mean, yeah. the '90s were pretty out there, so I'm. Uh, yeah, that's true. They really were. <laughs> I'm excited. Are you crowd now? I know you crowdsourced some of the footage and some of the commercial productions for the original. Yeah. Are you doing a similar thing with this film? Yeah. So for the original WF, it ended up being about like um, I think six or seven of the commercials out of the thirty um, were uh, or maybe was it four. I can't remember how many commercials. Was. I wrote this down a while back. Uh, we're, we're some friends of mine, right? And then, depending on who it was, sometimes I would I'd re-edit things for this or that. I, I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a couple of that this time. But this is a little bit more closer to the chest just because, like, I've had this thing percolating for, for so long now. I know exactly what I want to do, whereas a lot of the reasons why I brought people in earlier was because I didn't think I could make enough commercials. Mm-hmm. So, like, and there's certain people that are, like, worse on the original that I want to make sure that they are involved in this. I just don't know necessarily to what extent yet. But, but a lot of people that work in the original are going to be involved. I mean, I, I asked them to be involved, so... Awesome. Awesome. Are we going to yeah. get something from the... Uh, God, what was his name? Branscombe, who... Uh, Jim, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm sure Jim will do something on it. I don't know what yet. Because um, basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write all the commercials that I want to make myself, and then I'll tell them, "All right, what were you thinking about for your commercial?" Because I've already got these products covered. <laughs> so, like, um, you know, what are you thinking? But yeah, I, no, because Jim did the um, Jim did Parents Against Partying. Yeah, the, the spin the bottle PSA, which uh, yeah, oh, is, that's one of my favorite ones. He killed I, it. I don't. It'd be so difficult to pick a favorite thing from WNUF, even commercial wise. I mean, sar- sarcophagus is up there. But but yeah, uh-huh. that, well, and you know that's from one of our, you know that's from one of my other films. Yeah, it's from uh, what Grave Mistakes. Grave Mistakes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I I just I want sarcophagus to exist. I really. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that, and I know that. Did you use now? Did you use footage? I know you used footage from J.R. Bookwalter in the film, the video store. Was that from uh, Dead Next mm-hmm. Door? No, the video store was from. Shoot, what was that from? I think it was from Zombie Cop or uh, or Chick Boxer. Okay. Yeah, it's not from Dead Next Door. No, I was um because I basically made sure when I used the the Bookwalter stuff, I only used stuff from his, the movies he made for um David Dakota because because like I just thought the, like De- like Dead Next Door like it looks good and but, but but like I mean like but but it's also filmic because of Super Eight. Yeah. So with like the six pack he made for like Chick Boxer, Galaxy of the Dinosaurs, all those movies, I always felt like those looked a little bit more eighties because they were like video, even though they were made in the early nineties. Yeah, that's right. I, I I for some reason forgot that Dead Next Door was uh was actually shot on film. <laughs> No, 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 but dude, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I would assume it was video. T- I would assume it was the video stories from that too, because there's that whole sequence in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that yeah. great, that great funny scene in the video store. With the, yeah, with this, when, with when the like the zombie rents uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, I got another question. Now, this is a this is actually a personal question. This has been haunting me for since 2013. Okay. Now I know that it's obvious to anyone who's hip to anything that Louise and Claire that sorry Lewis and Claire Berger are based on a certain popular well-known well-publicized ghost hunting couple named well we won't name them uh we've named them yeah. on previous episodes <laughs> it's fine uh <laughs> But there's something about Lewis Berger's appearance that is 100% Ray Bradbury. <laughs> and I'm, I've been wondering since the first time I saw this if that's intentional. So it's interesting, like, okay. So Brian St. August, who plays Lewis, like, he has a very, n- normally in his life, so he's, he's an old rock guy. He used to play in, like, a, like a, a sort of teeny bopper band in the 50s, like, sort of like, you know, like, like the, the Beach Boys. And then, like, he started doing acoustic or stuff. 
And part of his persona is he has this big bushy mustache. I mean, he really looks more like Frank St- or Paul Farrenkamp who plays Frank Stewart. Mm-hmm. He looks like more like him usually. So when we shot the movie, I was like, I don't want two main characters with mustaches because I feel like it'll be. I want to distinguish them. So mm-hmm. I asked Brian, I was like, would you sh- would you shave the mustache? And like, and he said, yeah, sure, no problem. And when he did that and put on the because gla- the glasses were always part of it. And um, when he put that on, it was like he, he just sort of started looking like Bradbury. So that like I wasn't that intentional about him looking like Bradbury. But 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 it is funny you mentioned like like the idea of like talking about Ray Bradbury because it's like you know Father Matheson is obviously based mm-hmm. on you know Richard like the yep. name is is it not uh, Richard Matheson? Yeah. No, but I would say that was really just we were that was we were just very lucky that he looked like Ray Bradbury, yeah, was, which is awesome because you think about like the Halloween tree, the Halloween like, tree, something, something look at this, look at this, this way, like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Ray yeah. Bradbury, the uh, the guy, the Halloween guy. Yeah, uh, exactly. Who, yeah, and he it just the picture just the, it it worked well with the cat too. That's the thing is because there's that famous painting or oh, famous yeah. photograph of Ray with his cat and Lewis Berger Dude, holding the cat, cat there. Man. I was like, that's Ray Bradbury. Dude, I'll never I'll never forget having to chase that cat around this huge mansion. <laughs> it was awful. It was awful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I well, there's. I have a one other little bit of business, but I was going to ask if Adam had any questions for you. No, <laughs> no, no. We're okay. Um, I I do want to say now. I listen to the commentary, and you do not have. I keep saying that. I listen to the commentary. That we get it, Andy. You've listened to the commentary, <laughs> but I you don't. You didn't have an acronym for Harvest at the time, and I don't know if you have. Do you okay. have one now? <laughs> I would not, man. I've never thought about it. However, only once. Unless you're about to give me one. I have a bunch. Only once has someone emailed me to give me an acronym for Harvest. Okay, well, I have several. Uh, do you remember what theirs oh, was? Oh, my God, yes. Okay. Okay, so here, here we go. And some of these can be interchangeable. But um, So I have this one, which is His Agents of Righteous Vengeance Eliminating Sin and Temptation. Oh, my God, that's good. <laughs> His Anointed Righteous Vested with Eternal Salvation and Trust. God. Heaven's army rallying for verse, eternal salvation, and triumph. Uh, Here's one that's just a bunch of nouns. Humility, ability, resurrection, vindication, exaltation, salvation, temperance. Uh, And then I have one that's just heathens are ruining vest, and then I don't know what vest stands for. Uh, (laughs) uh, Then two more. Holy anointed righteous vindicators eradicating Satan's terror, and... His army of redeemers vested with ending secular tyranny, <laughs> which that might be my favorite one. Secular tyranny. Dude, secular that's, tyranny. That's really good. Dude, <laughs> I, think, I think the first one and your last one are my favorite. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I had Dude, to get those out great. there. I had to get those that's out great. there. Uh, <laughs> did you have anything, uh, that, anything left you'd like to say about either WNUF or the sequel or about horror in general or... So I was going to say, um, I just want to thank the little people now. Um, so uh, I guess with WNF, I mean, um, look, it's a movie that, like, we made that movie because I thought no one was crazy enough to make that movie, right? Like, mm-hmm. to literally make a movie shot on standard definition video in a time when most filmmakers that we were going to, to film festivals with would brag about shooting on, like, a red camera or 4K, right? Mm-hmm. We just made that movie because we really wanted to make that movie. And I think that's part of the reason why it resonates with, with, with folks like us. Yeah. So it's been a very special thing. Like literally every October, I travel to some city around the country to to show it, and and I think every year it, it's cult grows. And, and and what I'm really hoping is that the people that found the original are ex- just as excited about the like the sequel. Because I think the thing that's what's going to happen that I'm I'm really worried about is like 
people are going to see the sequel in two years and be like, oh, shit, man, I wish I would have been involved in that. And I'm literally <laughs> just trying to, like, you know, because like, cause I, I think it is literally fucking nuts that I'll put someone's name or picture in the movie for $250. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's insane. <laughs> that is crazy. Like, that's, that's you, know, you know, like, there's so many people that if they'd, if they had known that about the original WF, like, they'd be, they'd, they'd pay a lot more. Um, not, not like it's about the money for me, but you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like, I'm literally just trying to raise the money to make the movie the right way. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm literally just trying to find the people that fell in love with the original so that they can be involved in making a movie that's, that's just as cool, if not, if not cooler. So that's what we're trying to do. Like, I, I just want to make WNUF because yeah. it's like, there's, there's a lot more in, in crazy stuff we can do. And then tar in general, man, I don't know. I, more and more, I feel detached from what, from what horror is yeah um, no, I, just I, feel make, you. I just want to make cool weird shit you know yeah yeah and for everyone who feels detached from what horror is or is not lately you know if you're complaining about there being no franchises now this is your chance to get in on a franchise yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. yeah. like i want i want honestly man I, yeah yeah oh, i was just gonna say i want yeah. wnuf part seven you know, I, 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 watch. Well, I mean, I, I think, I don't know, I don't know if you, I, I think I said this on the other podcast you mentioned, but like, I'll pitch you part three. Yeah. Oh like, yeah, that's right. The, the podcast, by the way, was called Fright <laughs> yeah. Day, I think. And, uh, and yeah, you yeah. did pitch this on there and I loved it. Yeah, dude. It's like, so basically what we're going to do is like, I'm not going to tell the plot of part two, but because I'll, but I'll pitch you part three because we'll probably never make it. Part three is going to be a satire of reality television in the early 2000s. And it's going to be called Celebrity Exorcism. Um, and it's literally going to, it's going to be a bunch of washed up TV celebrities, sort of like, you know, like what exists, like those shows on VH1, like Flavor of oh, Love yeah, and yeah. shit like that. And they're going to have to perform an exorcism. It's going to be all about like, you know, like, you know, demonic. Like, so like, I mean, I'll probably never make that, but like, that's what exists in my head for what that would be. Um. <laughs> and I, and I would watch that. Oh yeah. And I yeah. think a lot of people would, but yeah, I, it's, it's, I, I, I really want to see WNUF two. I'm excited for what happens next with Scare You, and uh, mm-hmm. I've I think I've had a great time talking to you. Same, dude. It was it was, dude. It was super awesome talking to you guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to set this up. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Uh, yeah, and for thank being you for our, doing it. For being our first interview. <laughs> yeah, dude. Like seriously, if you ever want to talk again, let me know. I'll I'll come and uh, you know rattle my jaw for a while. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been a pleasure having cool. you on. Yeah. It, what's the uh, website address for the GoFundMe again? Yeah, it's, um, it's GoFundMe.com slash WNUF dash Halloween dash sequel. Perfect. And then what's your Twitter? Are you, Twitter you hate Twitter. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do hate Twitter, but I, I would love if people found me on there. Uh, <laughs> I think it's Twitter.com slash Chris LaMartina. Um, I think it's just, I don't even think there's a dot in there. Just reduce Chris LaMartina. Um, L-A-M-A-R-T-I-N-A. And then seriously, like, so, like if, if somebody wants to friend me on Facebook, just say, say you listen to this and just send me a message because I don't just accept whoever horror people mm-hmm. friend me just because, you know, you never know who that is. Yeah. So if somebody clarifies it, I'll, I'll accept it. Awesome. Cool. Awesome. Cool. Well, Chris, it's been, uh, it's, again, it's been delightful talking to you. Thank you so much for being on Ghoul School, a horror history podcast. Cheers, guys. And, yeah, uh, it was awesome. All right, y'all. Bye. <laughs> All right, bye. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Happy, New <laughs> <Year>. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Class deceased. deceased. <laughs> <laughs>